Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Oh, joy! Let's rock! It makes me wanna fight! Dear Journal, it's me, Doug. Do you have it? A baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. On your mark, get set. Oh, here it goes. <laughs> Welcome to Splat Attack, where we're taking it back to the slime-filled past. I'm your co-host, Brett. I am your other co-host, Alex Nance. And, and today, we are going to dive deep back into the dark of our 90s childhood memories as we celebrate the 30th anniversary reunion of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes, it's been that long since we first uh, Grace had our presence uh, reunited with the Midnight Society members and all those wonderful scary tales of this quintessential 90s horror anthology. But here today we have several guests who have emerged from the darkness to join us and reminisce about our fondest memories together. Guests, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi guys, I'm David Winning. I directed uh, a bunch of episodes of Afraid of the Dark, one of my favorite series back in the 90s many, many moons ago, and I'm trying to tap all the brain cells to actually remember a lot of it. Uh, hey, uh, Dave, um, I was first in an episode in season five and then became part of the Midnight Society for season six and seven. Ray Fabi, composer. I did a bunch of shows too, from first season to the last season that was there uh, for a good part of a, a great, great series. Hi, I'm Susan Kim. I wrote, uh, I wrote I don't even remember. I wrote some episodes. I also wrote a bunch of uh, crazy merch stuff. You know, I did like, you know, the uh, robe, the 2XL robot and the audio tape and stuff like that. Uh, it was really one of the best things I've, I think I've written for like over 60 shows. And it's like, it's still like one of my favorites ever. So I'm glad to be here. Hi, Andrew Fisher, uh, musician, composer. So yeah, I did a whole bunch of shows too. Uh, starting with the Phantom Cab, I believe, the pilot, and throughout the whole amazing, amazing uh, series. So, yeah. Uh, Amos Crawley, I played Ethan Wood in uh, The Tale of the Ghastly Grinner, uh, written and directed by Ron Oliver. Very good. Oh, I'm, I'm DJ McHale, along <laughs> with my partner Ned Candle. We created Are You Afraid of the Dark? and uh, made all, uh, all 91 episodes. And they're really thrilled to be here and to see so many uh, wonderful faces because there are a lot of people that made that show. It wasn't just us. It was a lot of people, talented yeah. people that made that show. And, uh, and it's great to see so, so many of them here tonight. Hello, I'm Jennifer Jason Lee. And I uh, <laughs> wrote and directed, uh, uh, I don't know, how, I forget how many I directed. I remember we did one and DJ said, That's, you did it, that's the number. Um, but I did a bunch of them and uh, loved every second of doing it. And I can safely say that if it wasn't for DJ and Ned and the entire creative team at uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, I'd probably be selling oranges at the side of the freeway. 
Hi, I'm Annick Chartier. I was the key makeup artist on all of Are You Afraid of Dark episodes. And I created most of the monsters and, and the looks of Are You Afraid of the Dark with a lot of fun. And to this day, that is, I think, my best experience. I think it was a fantastic platform and an amazing way to learn how to work together with everybody and make every dollar count and have a whole lot of fun doing it. Uh, I'm Matt Smiley. In my acting days, I think Are You Afraid of the Dark was probably one of the first things that I did. Uh, I played young Jean in one of the flashbacks episodes, I think three. And even to this day, every time I end up going somewhere, people always bring up Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, I kind of feel like it's a small part of my, yeah. my journey. It really is impressive to see how powerful that 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 show has been because anybody they're like even if you're like no 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 I really wasn't too too big of a part they're like oh no it's, it's amazing so it really is nice to see that it's 30 years later and it's uh it's impressive hi well I am the other the other partner on this DJ and I have been together since 1986 we have been making television shows this one obviously was the best um <laughs> but um, I've had such a wonderful time and, and looking at all you people has really been great. But yeah, we've been together for a long, long time, making a lot of shows. And this was really obviously something that's in everybody's vocabulary everywhere. So that's really mm -hmm. nice. My name is Jason Alistair. I played Frank, um, one of the second generation versions of the Midnight Society with Ross. And look, I'm just proud to be a part of this panel and to see so many faces I haven't seen in forever. Ned, Anik, you know, again, I gotta say this, you know, I was a first time actor. This is the first uh, filmed show I was on. And I was very, so again, kudos to Ned and DJ for, you know, welcoming me in. But I remember being so nervous that the first face I would see in the morning was Anik. And she would calm me down and so just seeing her now, it it brings back a lot. It means a lot to me. Just seeing her uh -huh. calming presence for me every day. <laughs> I remember that even now. So thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Ross Hall. I played uh, Gary uh, along with Jason in uh, the first 65 episodes of the show. I was also in the pilot of the show. And I my character made a uh, comeback for... Uh, Tale of the Silver Sight, the multi-part uh, episode in uh, the second or the reincarnated version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, so great to be a part of this and to see everyone, people I haven't seen in decades. Uh, great to see Ned and I have interacted with DJ as well. And, and Nick, great to see you too. And uh, too many people to name, but uh, great to be a part of this. And yeah, Are You Afraid of the Dark was such a special part of my uh, initiation into, uh, into acting and, and my career. So uh, very thankful to to be with these people today. All right, thank you very much for uh, introducing yourselves. We're all happy to have you here today, and uh, we're just going to just jump into quick little tidbits about the history of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and then uh, jump into some questions for all of you. So, uh, just a brief history recap here: the pilot USA premiere was October twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one, which is the day that this episode is going to air on our podcast. Uh, season one officially aired on SNCC in August 15th, 1992. Uh, Canada did have a few different dates for their airing, but if you want to look that up uh, for YTV, 
Uh, you can find it somewhere else on the internet. <laughs> um, uh, the show lasted for five seasons during the original run, uh, was then revived for two seasons from 1999-2000, and then was recently rebooted for two additional seasons as miniseries, uh, which would be the Carnival of Doom in 2019, and most recently, Curse of Shadows in 2021. Since then, many actors and actresses have gone on to do many great things from this show, uh, including Rachel Blanchard, Elisa Cuthbert, Jacob Tierney, Vanessa Lenges, to name a few, in terms of their celebrity status rising. All of you as well have gone on to do great things, so I'm not discounting you either. Uh, and everyone, everyone who's here is, uh, has at least one fond memory of the show, and we're going to find out what those memories are. So starting off uh, with our questions, this is for anyone. Feel free to chime in uh, first. Uh, what, do you, what did you enjoy most about working on the show? The, the creative freedom and the collaboration was just unbelievable and unmatched. I've worked on very big budget things, and if they had the collaboration that we had on Are You Afraid of the Dark, we'd make things even more fantastic. That's my opinion. I'll echo what Anik said, and that uh, a lot of that is credit to Nickelodeon at that time, where if you talk to anyone who was in our position making shows back in those days, they'll give you the same answer, which is you could do what you wanted. It's, it was so much creative freedom where they once once you said you showed okay we can make a show this is what it is this is what we're going to do they're like have fun storming the castle make what you got to make <laughs> and that allowed us to have the creative freedom to to do and, and mm -hmm. allow everyone else to to join in on that so a lot of that is due to nickelodeon at, at the time that era didn't last forever but but we mm -hmm. were all fortunate beneficial of, of having having made a show in that era for them and I agree. I agree with you uh, because I've had the opportunity to speak with a few other producers and writers and creators, and all of them have said the exact same thing. Where during that time period, Nickelodeon was very open to let creators create. I don't if think I I've ever say, the the, um, the uh, I did both. Are you afraid of the dark and Goosebumps? Uh, oh, nice. Back and forth, and so did Dave. And so yeah, Amos. So so the difference, and I'm sure David can speak to this too. But as a writer director. Um, the, the amount of creative freedom I was given on Dark by DJ, DJ and, and Ned and I mean and Bonecutter too. I mean the the take your idea and go with it. Whereas Goosebumps, as lovely as it was, it was a great experience and great fun. But there was a sense of corporate structure that was above you that had everything had to be sort of uh, vetted by the corporate uh, entity that was Fox at the time. Whereas in our world. An eye for the dark. I think it's because we were in Montreal and they're like, just go, don't bother us, just go. Because the best thing was that we had the time <laughs> difference back then. And you remember you had to fax scripts. I'm sure DJ will remember that. Uh, you had to fax scripts back across the country back then. So they left us alone and they gave us a creative freedom. And they also because they trusted DJ and Ned. I mean, more. Well, there's one thing that kind of people forget about is that, or don't think about because they don't care, is that. Um, People say, whoa, which is more popular? Are you afraid of the dark or goosebumps? And it's like, it's like from a pure eyeball point of view, it's goosebumps. And that's because goosebumps was on broadcast TV. Back in 1992, cable was really still in its early stages and they're just kind of finding their way. So it's it was before it became the juggernaut that it being cable, that that it became <laughs> now it's like over. It's funny, but but I, but where 
Fox, you said it right. That Fox had that you know hierarchy. It was a broadcast network, and we're in everyone's homes, and suddenly, oh, eyeballs. So, but you were going to say something, Susan. What were you going to well, say? What I what I loved it wasn't just you know as a, as a writer, you write things and then they never get translated at all the way you imagine them to be written. You know, but what was so exciting was sort of writing it. Um, and then from then on, just watching it, and when you finally see it on the air, it's like you see that level of freedom at every stage of production that you see, like, it's it's so cool meeting all of you, because obviously I never met any of you, because I was just the writer in New York City, but just the, just the beautiful production, the incredible acting, the really big choices made with, like, special effects and makeup, and you did beautiful work, it was so... It was just like everybody was helping tell the story and it was really collaborative and that was so wonderful. It was just really, it was freedom at every stage and you could just, it was, it, that never happens. That yeah. never happens. Before you say hi to Daniel, hold on. <laughs> About time to <laughs> <and> me. <laughs> I want to add to that. And you look marvelous, let me tell you. Um, I'm glad that Ron and Susan are here in particular. They're representing writers on the show, I guess me as well. But the true Midnight Society were the writers of that show. And when you think about it, it, people talk about the show and they say, oh, I love Betty Ann's stories or I like Frank's stories or I like, it's like, and that's good, but but they were really Susan's stories and Ron's stories. That's, they're the ones, they were the creative people that came up. They were the Midnight Society. Okay, now we can add a Daniel. Sorry. Yeah, I want to add one thing to, to about Nickelodeon. Um, we were not exactly veterans at making television shows. We'd made some, DJ and I had made one series, but we were not a veteran but they were rookies and they were so thankful because we had done one show that they were willing to pretty much go along with what we knew. You know, we had all grown up together. We were all friends. Um, and it was like, guys, you know how to do it, go for it. And it was really amazing because that would, you know, it just wouldn't happen now, but it really happened then. And you really kind of knew you were kind of lucky because um, we had made a show for HBO and it wasn't quite the same. This was really special and we kind of understood that and, you know, and it just was a, just sometimes it works. For me, um, if you don't mind, um, I think that what I remember was the challenge every episode musically and I, I story wise was completely different. So it wasn't like working on a on a regular series where the theme was always the same. This, the, every show was like, you know, one was green, one was red, one was polka dots, and it was all over <laughs> the place. And um, and I'm, I'm, I remember like the briefings, 95% of the time came from, from DJ, and he was really picky, and he was really picky about the music. So I really got to learn uh, how to work uh, and listen, you know, be able to, to put in my point of view as a creative composer, but, you know, uh, making sure that the, the message was what, what the director or the producer wanted, but it, it was, it was a challenge where it was fun. It was like, you know, someone said it was like college. I think it was more like a, a PhD, you know, it was like, it was, it was tough, but it was mini movies, even though they were like 22 minute shows, they were like mini movies and the detail and, you know, for, little bit of time that we had a little bit of money that we had it, i think you know we i think we did really really amazingly well i i'm i'm really proud of it and i'm i'm proud of you know of course i work closely with with dj i'm sure ron and 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 david 
directed some of the shows that I did, but I, honestly, I can't remember which ones we worked on. I did, I don't know, about 40 shows or so, but I, uh, you know, between Jeff and myself, I think we did probably 95% of the shows and it was, you know, great, great directing, great stories. It was, uh, it, you know, it was, it was an awesome, awesome uh, uh, experience. And thank can you guys I, for can incredible I, music. Can I jump off on that for a second? It was great. Back when we started the show, uh, the Canadian production company, uh, who they put in half the money, Nick Williams half the money, they said to me, it's like, okay, what we want to do musically, because they had mostly done animation up to that point. I think they'd only done animation up to that point. Yeah. So they said, what we want to do is we want you to create a library of music that you just you know have 40 cuts or whatever, and then you can just pick it and use it over and over again. Mm -hmm shows and and I, it was one of the few times that i had to say no no that is not how we're doing this thing every one Thank of these shows is different every one of these shows is, it has a different flavor has a different it's red or it's blue as ray said and we found these two guys ray fabi and jeff fisher who are freaking brilliant and talented because when you think about it they're not only the composers they're also the performers <laughs> they performed all this and there was right and it wasn't john williams standing in front of a giant or <laughs> they they wrote all the parts they wrote everything it is it is phenomenal and when you talk about a show that's really i mean it's reliant on a lot of things but a scary show is hugely reliant on music to set the tone to set the the mood to tell the story sometimes it wasn't always told mm. but it's like these Ooh. two guys saved more shows than i can tell you and it's, it's, it's so true and 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 ray said something that i think is exactly why the show is still part of our culture now each episode was a movie unto itself and dj said that day one when we first talked i went down to his place to meet him in la to talk about doing this he said i want them all to be their own movie and i thought that was brilliant because then what happens is so so i did one called the tale of the full moon about a kid and his mom and his dad and a, and a werewolf and a thing. And, and, and Jeff did the music for it. And I remember saying to Jeff, okay, here's what I see for the music. Cause it was kind of, Full Moon was kind of an odd duck in the run. And um, I said to Jeff, oh, I, what if it's big band music? I want the whole of maybe swing music and big band and jazz, make it that. <laughs> like, really? He said, yeah, I think it's gotta be that. Cause it's like a very fifties, nineties, eighties pastiche thing it's like if john waters and david lynch had a baby and it was a werewolf that's the show and so <laughs> jeff goes got it and <laughs> talk again and then i get the temp thing comes in i'm like oh my god it was honestly jeff of all the stuff i've done in my tedious career that's one of the greatest scores ever for anything i've done and i've had like some great scores but that is to this day that show is still here in my heart because of the music in that show Thank you so much, Ron. What, what's amazing is that, yeah, each one was a mini movie. The palette is huge. Just an orchestra is just a starting point. I remember there was a show called Pinball Wizard. The whole thing was like Pac-Man on acid. It was just kind of <laughs> Uh, there were, you know, there, there was just so much range and so much space and so much inspiration coming from the visuals and from the whole show. It was just like, yeah, dig in, let me go, you know. But DJ uh, just did something. He just gestured something. I remember Pinball Wizard. I remember the nightmare of that show. And I remember you doing it and just going, what have I got myself into? I've never, that's like 30 years ago. 
you were like, what am I doing with this episode? It was, and it was a great episode. It was fantastic. But I remember you going through it going, oh my God, help me. <laughs> well, the thing was so good about the thing is, you know, 30 years later is that I, I look back on that as the, the, the Nate is Nader, the low point of, of how hard it was to make that show for all sorts of reasons. And then when I talk to people and I just think, oh God, we've got so much more that we can chew. This is too, we're, we're oh, this is so cheesy. It's horrible. Oh my God. But everyone <laughs> made it work. And people today say, my favorite episode was Pinball yeah. Wizard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what the appeal about the frantic energy of Pinball Wizard is, because I do see that a lot when I talk with many Are You Afraid of the Dark fans. And I know both sides of the coin there. I, I know the production that goes into it from listening to podcasts and talking to you guys and also just watching it myself over and over again. Maybe there's just something about that uh, burning the midnight oil and, you know, pulling out all the stops that just makes it a wild ride for everyone that you know, it sticks in their minds. You want to know why I have white hair? It was from dad. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> but we did get a new cast member who joined us. Daniel, will you introduce yourself and tell the listeners what your role was on the show? Hey guys, my name is Daniel. I apologize for being late. Ross told me 11 o'clock uh, Eastern. So <laughs> I, I, I thought it was early. I, I don't know what happened. Um, I, uh, this is, it's okay, uh, it's the little brother. <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to, to join the cast in uh, on third season of, uh, of Are You Afraid? And, uh, and then I was even luckier to uh, continue it after fifth season, after we wrapped, mm -hmm. to come back for six and seven. So um, this, is, uh, this is crazy. DJ, Ned, I mean, Jay, Dave, like this is uh, Ron. Like this is, uh, wow, this is pretty cool, guys. It's great to see everybody. Yeah, we're definitely happy you were able to make it, uh, Daniel, because I had some difficulty reaching you. But, you know, sometimes miracles happen when everyone gets together. So we're happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Alex, would you like to ask the next question? Yes, I will happily ask the next question. What were some of the challenges you overcame to make your vision come to life on the screen? And this is open-ended, so anyone can yes, ask anybody. I, I, uh, lack of talent was a big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found that a challenge. I rose above it, but still. <laughs> I'll tell you what the biggest challenge, you know, the biggest challenge for us was to, to make sure that every single, and this is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, but honestly, to make sure that our episode was better than the one the week before. Yep. That was the oh, biggest yeah. challenge. Yeah. And, and, every and... Week, because we got into a groove. There was this thing that started happening and I was lucky enough. I did Phantom Cab. So I get to do the show where they already had, they did the pilot because Deej did the pilot. And then they already kind of knew how it was working. So I get to come in for the first episode, but by then they already knew how to do the machine. So I'm, I get the advantage of all these great creative people who are now working together. So you slide in there and you get to make this great show. And then you're like, okay, now what? And every week we tried to top the week before. And it was like this really friendly competition of like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this now. To the point where David Winning and I, to this day. To David, this I, day are to in this competition. Day, David, are you are you still in the business, David? I wasn't sure. Um, to this <laughs> day, <laughs> David and I still will do movies like in the same locations. I'll be like, um, "You're going to use that crane?" Okay, David. If, if that's yeah. how you see it, sure, whatever. You know. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll walk. I'll walk onto a set of a Hallmark movie, and I'll hear this faint voice in the distance say, "Winning, get out of my shot." And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's Ron. 
<laughs> but yeah, but we got to, that was the big challenge was to make sure that the show that you're doing is worthy of the, at that point, like even halfway through first season, when things started to really sort of, it became apparent that this was something bigger than us, the, to make sure your show was the, was worthy of their premature because I mean, DJ set this ridiculously high bar and we're like, okay, how do we, how do we do this every week? How do we make this work? And, and plate think, the well, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that I think most people, I think, and I referenced it with Susan before, I think most people and certainly Ray and, and, and uh, Jeff will attest to this. It's probably the biggest challenge they had to face is, is dealing with me being an asshole <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and saying, mm, no, no, we got to do more. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably the general biggest challenge everybody had. Also, I, I think also um, the hot water at the Manoir Le Moine was also. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, so for those who don't know, okay, the first few uh, seasons of the show, we didn't have a lot of money. So we're staying at this place called the Manoir Le Moine, which I believe rented the rooms by the hour. Hey, Ron, Ron no, Ned and, Ned and DJ were not staying there. I don't know where, no. I'm staying they there. They were staying somewhere else. You did stay there. Oh, no, there. no, DJ stayed there because I used to see him go jogging in the morning. I was like, oh, he's so ambitious. Um, but but it was uh, that place. So that was the thing. But, but we, it was like summer camp because we got to go back for, I was on the first five seasons. They didn't bring me back for the last two because I was, you know. You're gone. too big for us. I was off making movies in Europe then. Um, <laughs> neither. But 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 we were um, it was like summer camp. So every like six months or eight months, we'd get a phone call and it was like, we're going back to Montreal, kids. And we would go back and all get together, get the band back together and make these shows. And then the, so the challenge there was, how do we do it better than we did last season? And how do we do it better than the season before? And so on. That's always with, been the challenge with the with, show. With less money. It's always less money every I season. Mm. I, I do. Have, so you mentioned wait, the movement. Dave, more. Dave, wait, Dave, did you? You got less money, Dave? Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I was on the side, okay? One of the things that I see a lot, people in social media and whatnot, they talk about their favorite villains and scary things and whatnot. And pe people talk about the in the, the show that Ron directed, Tale of the Dark Music, where uh, the, the, there's a monster in the basement and there's a hole and you play music and it comes out. And uh, one of the, the manifestations of the monster, whatever it was, I don't know, was, was this little doll. That came out this really creepy doll that came out well and, and it's it cracks me up when i hear people talk about this doll was so scary the person who played that doll was the person who worked behind the desk at the manoir le moine because yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was about four foot tall and i was like you she's like okay <laughs> and if you look I, at that doll right now from that show and then look at squid game it's the yes! same doll interesting it's the same doll same doll I, I do have to jump in here because that episode happens to be my favorite episode that both of you worked on. And that doll also scared the heck out of me. And it's so much so that I actually made a poster of it. Oh my gosh, she Ooh. is. Ooh. It's just yeah. fluffy. You know, that cellar door demon got a pull coda in there. Well, that episode well, definitely this... stood out to me because of the, the concept and the, the, the whole idea of it playing on your imagination where it could be anything that could be coming out of that door, not just a pair of red eyes or a doll or even a skeleton carnival barker um and i feel like that's that's the beauty of some of these more more memorable episodes because they play on your imagination after the story's over and it makes you wonder well what's happening before and after or, or how do these characters get into these situations so it really speaks to uh, you know as a testament to you know the power of all these elements coming together and working really well for 
you know, many of these episodes. Yeah, the sometimes the scariest thing is your imagination and not just having it spelled out for you on the screen. Exactly. Ned, what wasn't your wife uh the mother in that show? Yes. My wife? Wasn't she? No. I no, who who was the who was Andy's mother? Oh, you remember the name? Hmm. <laughs> oh, Andy was the kid. The, he was the, the kid who got. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. Oh. It's thirty okay. years. Ago. Really, I remember doing that. But I remember the last shot we did on that episode. The very last shot was the skeleton carnival barker and doing this camera move. Carol like I think it was one of Carol's because Carol was on the show with us, mm -hmm. and that. Bless Carol. He taught me everything I know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that push in on the skeleton kernel barco and the wind and the smoke and the thing like that shot was the last shot we did in that show. And then the next morning I got in a plane to go to London to start doing the tomorrow people. And I was like, it was like my, it was going to be my last show. Cause we didn't know if dark was coming back or not. And so that last mm -hmm. shot was like, I put everything I had in it and then there we go. And then boom, six months later, we're back at it. So. <laughs> So was that the last episode produced for season one? Because I know it aired a slightly different order. No, it was a freaking pinball wizard was the last episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> DJ, let it go, man. Let it go. You <laughs> gotta let it go. <laughs> I, I always think DJ had always said this thing like, man, if we can go three for 13, we're killing them. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it is hard, especially to your own show about your own standards. So, you know, that show wasn't so terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. <laughs> no, so when people, people ask what's your favorite episode, it's usually not purely a an objective, oh, that was a really good episode. The story worked. You think of all the other stuff that it took you to to do it. And and it, and, but what Alex said, which is very smart, is that about the 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 imagination and what takes over. I think that people they'll they bring their own baggage to each episode yes. so whatever you carry with you that creeps you the hell out <laughs> if you suddenly see it manifest in a tv show you're gonna attach to that show in a way that maybe will require some sort of therapy down the road <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i'm afraid of basements so it stuck out to me you know some people are afraid of clowns so that sticks out to you can I just say that I, I don't know who everyone else's Zoom screens are set up, but to see, I know Dave, Dave's kind of up to the side here, but to see Ross, Daniel, and Jason, like in the same shot down here is yeah, really kind of surreal. <laughs> Pretty cool. Three of the Midnight Society members all hanging out. I got to say, it's just like, those are those faces. Those were the everyday faces right there. It's really fun. Uh, really fun. I didn't even realize Anik and Amos are here too. Oh my God. Hey guys, I didn't even see you. Hi, you haven't changed at all. You look exactly the same. I know, right? Look, yeah. What what kind of elixirs you I need to send them? You haven't changed either. Are you well, I appreciate it. She's actually taking the the elixir of life and the ring of attorney from your tale, the tale of the guardian's curse. <laughs> look at and it's like the picture of Dorian Gray. Did you guys ever do the picture of Dorian Gray? Because that was a story that you did. Or yes, no? it was uh, the okay. tale of the captured souls. Oh, there you go. Okay. So that's Ned Candle, right? There. Well, I might as well uh, jump into my next question because we kind of already touched upon it. But um, for anyone who wants to chime in, what are what's your what was your favorite episode to work on and why? I, I can jump in. I don't know if this is open ended or. Yeah, yeah, yeah go for it. Make, I need cool. you jumping in after me here. Uh, Silver Sight, uh, of course, for me, because we were able to, you know, be be a part of 
of the episode. I mean, doing the campfires for years, we were just, we were part of, you know, uh, sitting around a campfire and opening the story and then closing it, but we never, I never got to be a part of it. Um, so Silver Side to me was, was a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. and, and to be part of the story was, you know, in the last season was, uh, was actually pretty special. And to be reunited with Ross after all those years was actually a lot of fun too. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ross, what are your uh, memories of Silver Sight? And then Matt can chime in after him since he was on that episode too. Uh, okay. Let me think. I think it was making sure we didn't have texting back then, but I had to make sure Daniel got to set safely and properly. <laughs> <laughs> on time. Uh, and on time. And on time. Yeah. And, and dressed too. I had to make sure he was dressed okay. And uh, anyway. But it was, it was, you know, I have to agree, Silver Sight. Uh, I also got to do an appearance in, um, which episode was Gary in? I think it was the- uh, Super Specs. Super Specs, that's right. Wow. So it was Super Specs, uh, short scene there, but then yeah, definitely uh, Silver Sight was great to have that arc with the new Midnight Society and learn a little bit about the uh, Midnight Society's past with Gary's grandfather and uh yeah that was a great experience to do that uh not necessarily working with Daniel again but uh <laughs> but overall it was fun for sure Matt then uh Dave DeVoe what are your experiences working on Silver Sight that you finally remember well I think for me I was basically only around the campfire so that was definitely a nice experience Short and sweet, huh? Um, actually, I'm curious. Well, I guess this is more for Matt and DJ. Um, if you were to see more tales from the original 1937 Midnight Society, what kind of stories would you imagine those members telling? Just based off of what little we got. I feel like that would be a good DJ question. <laughs> yeah, maybe they tell the uh, story of Tower of Terror, which is a movie I made. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that took place in 1939. It was fun. I, I, Actually, I don't know. I watched the Silver Sight a couple of weeks ago, and you know, you forget about these things. But it was funny. The best part for me is that pretty much every character name, not not the Midnight Society, actually Midnight Society as well, but every character in there is all names of my family members. <laughs> oh wow! Greg, <laughs> a family name. It's like it's like, like I knew every my in laws. They're all the characters are all named after people I know. It's like, do they know that when they watch the episode, or have they seen the episode? probably back then but but they're not as tapped into the are you afraid of the dark world as we are right now so <laughs> gotcha <laughs> how about you dave i mean it, it, listen are you afraid of the dark was the one of the best things that could have ever sort of taken my life down a particular path i mean it was my favorite show to watch and then suddenly i was on it and even I remember showing up like for the campfire set the first time and even just learning the mechanics of how we threw dust on the fire and how many people were involved in making that happen seamlessly for viewers at home was beautiful. Um, but then for us, for that same sort of team of folks to actually go on location and not just be in studio um, every day with, uh, with Silversight was lovely. And uh, and I just really like structurally, I, I just thought it was ingenious to, 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 we always come back to that central scene and we follow a different cast member down, down a path to sort of find their piece of the record. Um, it was lovely. And then, weren't you wrapped in a cocoon in the Manaha? Something like that? Sure he was. was. Sure oh, was. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that, Dave? Uh, being like a character in a story versus a Midnight Society member. Well, it was. I mean, it, it was. It was wild. I spent I spent a great deal of time in a cocoon above a fire. I'm just. You know, <laughs> I was I was a mere child, and um, that was that was early on in the shoot. Um, but I remember I remember um, hearing that the show was coming back and hounding my agent, saying like, "Get me an audition. I want to be in the campfire." And it just sort of didn't happen. And I I I I think I, I was just a bit of a diva, and I I was very like I kept calling her and harassing her and. Um, and then suddenly she sort of snuck me in for callbacks and, and then suddenly I was on the show and, <laughs> and I still couldn't quite believe it. It was, it was like, well, I, I got to do, I like truly doing Manaha. I felt like, okay, well that, that's like the best, that's the best, like I've, I've hit that glass ceiling of are you afraid, peak, are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> I was in a above a fire. This is great. Um, <laughs> And then I got, you know, a couple more, a couple seasons to, um, you know, put up with Daniel and meet, meet Alicia and, and Vanessa and Kareem. And we, had a, we had a great, we had a great time. <laughs> That's I, awesome to Jeff, hear. Was Jeff, what, okay. I, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear from, uh, I'll go after, but I'd like to hear about uh, Jeff's uh, favorite show. Yeah, Ray, remember, I mean, we had, really not a lot of time to crank out these mm. massive, massive episodes, correct them? So, and there were so many. So what, what I tend to remember is not really what was necessarily the best show or the best score, but just the quirkiest off the wall kind of stuff, which is why I upset everybody with Pinball Wizard, my apologies. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm trying to think of there. Yeah, there was another one simply because it was different from all the others, which was Ghastly Grinner, mm. which was kind of like an attempt to out cheese Danny Elfman. Um, it, it was just, you know, there was this green goo bouncing off walls and it, mm. it just like it was really the music score was totally tasteless. And so I remember that one. Um, there were, yes, yes, I know. There, there, there was another, the nightly nurse. I mean, there was really so many. I wish I had the collection so I could sit down and review them. Um, I enjoy doing them all, but. Uh, I can always send you my DVDs, Jeff, afterwards. <laughs> really? I would love that. I'd love yeah. that. Yeah. But um, jumping off of Ghastly Grinner, uh, since we can get Amos in there for some questions, uh, what, how did you get the role for Ethan Wood in that tale? And what was it like working with uh, Ron Oliver on it? Uh, I, I mean, I, I imagine, I think I just auditioned for it. I think, was it was Susan Hart, the Toronto casting agent? Back, I don't know if anyone remembers, remember. but that's, that's oh. what I remember. Honestly, it was, I have like way more memories of it than I have of a lot of the stuff that I did at that time. It was a really, I had this like 10 days in Montreal where I got to like hang out in a comic book shop overnight. And uh, uh, Ron Oliver had a, Ron, I'm, I'm using your full name in That's a very correct. formal way. That is, yeah, that is correct, yeah. Amos. V. V. Yeah. Well, I'm also a knight, Amos, so you would say Sir Ronald, but go Sir ahead. Ronald, yeah. Uh, uh, do you? He had a he had a flaming lips T-shirt. They were my favorite band of all time, and he would wear the flaming lips T-shirt to set for me, which was really yeah. great. And yeah. Yeah. it was really this like amazing confluence of like 
if you're like a young kid who likes comic books and punk rock and horror movies, you got to kind of do that all. And it's still, I mean, it's to this day, it's like, to this day, it's the one thing that I've ever done that directors I work with bring up. Hmm. They're like, you know what one of my favorite things was? You know, uh, which is, I don't know, it's a testament to a bunch of the people in this room, I guess. Definitely. That's nice. But Amos, if I may, that's that's uh, very lovely and nicely said. It's interesting that that for a lot of us, and I think I'll speak with with Mr. Winning as well for this, is that um, you know we're doing the show and you're trying to do a show and you've got a schedule and a budget and all this stuff and you're just trying to make the thing work, and you don't necessarily always understand what the impact of that work is until many years down the road. And I think that's part of what this discussion is about is that we're going, you know, this has resonance. And so much of what this resonance is about goes back to DJ and to Ned, who had this vision to say, here's a show we could do that could be great. And you never know what's going to stick. And somebody like, as you said, the Ghastly Grinner, I mean, I get all kinds of talk, people talk to me about that show all the time. I, I have no idea why. I think it's because the idea that your parents turn into zombies and they're crazy and they're laughing and it's weird that that disconnect you know i think that had a lot to do with it but it was so much of it is about as you're saying there's um some resonance to it that lasts for a long long time and and again as we said before is the freedom of these guys giving us this this canvas to play on so and amos oh my god i didn't recognize you until you said who you were and i was like because you know obviously it's been a couple of weeks been a, while. Uh, we <laughs> a couple of weeks um but but look at you, all grown up like a young man. So when, when, it? So when, oh. when like talk about Ghastly Grinner, Anik, how does it feel when when your creation is like people have it tattooed on their arms? Yeah, they Crazy. do. Yes, oh they do. I've seen that guy. Do you remember Ron? You want, you, because it was the year of Batman Forever, the return. Yep. where you wanted him white you wanted and i said no let's not do it let's do primary color yellow yep. blue and you were fighting yep. it so let me do it let me do yep. it yep and i want him yellow and you're yellow yep. <laughs> and of course that i mean you know we're talking about the stuff that i did the stuff that i did on that show the stuff i put in people's <laughs> mouth the stuff i did oh my god oh my god well that's again you said before it's about the collaboration of it and i that know one of the great lessons I learned on our series was the notion of collaboration, the idea that we are the more than the sum of our parts and that we all brought so much stuff to the table. And I, I stand in the shadow of these creative people who worked with me on these shows because, you know, I mean, even to the point where I telling tales at a school, I remember the guy who was playing the ghastly grinner fitting into the costume is like, eh, it's not good working. And, and a certain member of our production team said, I have a girdle in the trunk of my car. I'm gonna go get it. And he ran out, I won't mention his name, <coughs> bone cutter. And he goes <laughs> back with this girdle and we put it on the guy and it worked. And I was like, to this day, I just, you know, I will never be able to thank uh, the unnamed uh, production member um, uh, for that because it made the thing work. But that, again, that's the ultimate collaboration. Pulling something from the trunk of your car, my God. And lending someone your girdle is also exactly. a huge collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I, okay. I, just, I just wanna, uh, there, uh, like Jeff said, there were 
you know, most, I, I think, well, a lot of the episodes had decent music. I, you know, as Jeff mentioned, we had very little time to, to, to produce it, you know, like five days, basically. And um, I think working on the, you know, I, I, I think it was challenging and fun to work on the uh, Silver Sight, which is probably the only three episodes that actually had like a, you know, was the same theme. So that, that was, that was cool. But I think musically, Quicksilver, the musically Quicksilver was, uh, you know, like, a, I, I, I remember I wrote something, you know, the, it, it was really intricate and fun. And, and it was a rather dark show because, one of the girls dies in the beginning and, you know, so it was pretty intense. And I, you know, like it was sort of a little bit of a black mass, you know, incantations and, 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 and you know, so I, I actually had a lot of fun working on that one. And I think another music, uh, interesting music show for me was the uh, Long Ago Locket. I, I think you were in town because um, there was a period where, where I, I couldn't got work on wrong. dark. Oh, bless your heart, David. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bless him, everyone. Um, you know, there was a time, there was a, a year that I, I couldn't work because of a contract. It was a, a bit of a odd story, but I couldn't work on dark and I, I, I missed and Jeff ended up doing probably 15 episodes for that series. Um, but I, I, I jumped in uh, halfway through the series and, and my first show was uh, Long Ago Locket. And, 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 and um, I remember uh, uh, DJ, you were in town and you said, you just walked in, uh, you know, you just, I think someone was briefing me on the show. You just walked in and said, great show. And you closed the door and you went, you know, so, I mean, it was, I hadn't worked on a dark show in about a year. And, you know, so uh, Quicksilver and Long Ago Locket was, uh, were like really, really fun shows for me to, to work on. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that as a launching point for questions for Jason, Anik, and David, if you don't mind. Um, so in regards to Quicksilver, that was also one of the scariest yet most effective monsters that used to terrify me in my nightmares. And yet it was such a simple design and he didn't speak a word the entire time he's on screen. I'm curious, um, did you have anything to do with the makeup and if there's like an inspiration behind that kind of design, Anik? I'm having a blank. There's so many episodes. <laughs> so I'll, I'll describe it. I'll describe it to you. Basically, it's like a very tall, lanky guy, brown robe, yellow skin, really gross teeth, Ghost like red wall. rings around his eyes. And he'd like loom over you in a dark room. And he, he goes through, he, he makes, he, he kind of that runs, that not runs, but people he- People kept asking me if I had done prosthetic on this guy's face and it was all just makeup to create 3D. Cause you know, we only had so much money. So we had to save <laughs> our money. Yes, that's yeah. him. You know, yeah, that guy. My eye when I did during that week. And so I had a patch. They blacked out my makeup room. I had to rip the patch when it was time to do the 3D because I had no depth. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't see a thing. So yeah, that was fun. That was a challenge. That was a challenge. I loved it because it was creating this. And I remember, see, that's another collaboration example is when we casted him, DJ, was asking me about who would be the best Canva to do this character. And we looked at tapes and I thought, oh, him, he's got bony and all of that could work with that. 
and you know, I mean, where do you see that you can actually be part of 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 a you know and results that way? So, and I love doing that makeup. That was one of my and I've had makeup artists asking me, "What prosthetic did you put on him? What pieces?" I'm like, "None." It was great. Well, it's it's and funny that happens to come up. And you're doing it in 2D because you couldn't see depth. Well, we were in that school during that week and I rubbed my eye, retired. You know, we always started like at five on Monday morning and we finished on Saturday morning. <laughs> so that was like... <laughs> she was the so, Andre, Andre de Toth of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? There was the Andre. Andre de Toth of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's a little uh, a film noir reference. Never mind. Uh, He's a, a one eyed <laughs> director who did House of Wax, the first movie movie. And so I did, and I rub and I rub. I ended up going to have to go to emergency, and it was like so bad. And she says, doctor was like, don't remove that patch. And I'm like, oh dear. So I'm doing the makeup. I can't see, I have no depth. So I ripped the wow. patch oh. while it was time to do the 3D version, and then I'd stick the patch back on. It was like, yeah, great oh. time. It's all the more <laughs> impressive that you accomplished it that way, knowing the story. The 3D. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, moving on to Jason once he's uh, finished with his drink. Um, your your brother, actually, Kyle Ali Sharon, was in the tale of the Quicksilver. What was that like for him acting in a story while you got to be on the other side uh, in the Midnight Society? It was a great memory. You know, like he came out to Montreal and I remember oh, buying, Yeah. I remember buying him tickets actually to, to go watch the Canadians play. And mm. he stayed at the Chateau Marmont. And he was there for like a week and it was just a special moment. And, you know, we do these podcasts and people ask me like, what's your favorite episode? And it's like, yeah, when my brother did that episode with uh, Tatiana Ali and yeah, it's great. And it's funny cause we do these, we do these, um, these podcasts and then people don't know that it's my brother. It's like actually a surprise. Like they're, they're blown away, you know, it's super fans. And I think they haven't figured it out. It's like the same person um, or my brother, but uh, yeah. It was a, it was a hmm. great experience. You know, like, look, the best way I can say this, if you ask me about the Are You Fred experience, it's like going to college. Do you remember the exams? Do you remember the classes or the courses? No, you remember your friends in the dorm. I remember DJ and Ned and Ross and Daniel and Anik and the relationships and the times and the makeup chair. You don't remember what we shot. I can't remember any of that stuff. You remember the people. That's what yeah. it's like. That's the best way I can. Experience. Well said, Jason. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Um, moving on to David, because I know we haven't had a chance to hear much from him yet. Uh, you've done some very iconic episodes in directing, uh, including Midnight Madness, Shiny Red Bicycle, Watcher's Woods, Quiet Librarian, which I believe. Ron, uh, Ron did you hear that? He used the word iconic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, well, everyone who's here has been a part of an iconic episode. I'm just I trying to remember, remember, a conversation. I'm so excited. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you like to tell us about some of the tales that you directed, David, in, in terms of like what your favorite moments are or some of the challenges you overcame? Or, you know, even if uh, you worked with Susan on Quiet Librarian, for example, what that collaboration was like? Well, Quiet Librarian was a, very weird, was a very weird thing. I wanted to just jump back to something else. You, you guys are talking about Goosebumps sure. versus Dark real quick. Because mm -hmm. uh, Ron and I did Goosebumps. And I remember, I, I, never told, I don't think DJ knows this, but... Um, they were they were kind of pulling directors from dark to do Goosebumps when it first started because they thought we're gonna get these people and I remember going in to do Goosebumps and there was a real strong kind of jealousy like we don't want to talk about dark 
Don't yeah. talk about dark. Don't talk about dark. Don't mention it. Don't mention dark. And I thought, you know, just personally for me, I always, always, obviously preferred Afraid of the Dark because I always felt like the difference between the two series was that uh, Dark was always safe for kids to watch. You know, it was it was it was scary stuff, but it was safe. And Goosebumps, I don't know if Ron agrees, but it always had kind of this sinister feel to it. They always did kind of those gotcha scares at the end, and I thought DJ and Ned brilliantly couched the stories of uh you know the tales around a campfire and you always knew you were going to come back to friends around a fire and and you're just telling stories and I thought that was part of the coolness of it it's like you get the thrill of the roller coaster ride but you always know it's going to park safely at the end and a lot of these other scare series I, I just think didn't get that and I think it gave kids kind of a safety net it was a great thrill and a great scare but you know it was, yeah, uh, I, I actually agree. I think that is what was the hallmark of it, that, you know, um, there's the, you know, so scared but you, that you couldn't wait to watch it again next week. You always knew that it was going to be okay. And I think that really made a huge difference in that show and really made you feel like you were in a good place. It was Saturday night. You could watch it. You could be scared all you wanted for the fun, but you really knew you were going to be okay. I, I do. I, and I give my partner all the credit for that of making, there was a safeness in it. He's that guy in real life. So that is really a hallmark of it. And I, I really, and I, I think that's it. one of the reasons it's lasted so long is because it's got that safety. Yep. Mm -hmm. David, before you talk about your episodes, going back to the Goosebumps thing, I, I, there's a moment, I, I never felt any competition with Goosebumps. And we were, we were on the air yeah, for years before Goosebumps started. And also they had, you know, the uh, incredible book series lead in. So it, I, I never really felt that. I know Dan who produced that show and, you know, it, it, it didn't bother. But there was one moment where I was, I had a meeting with uh, the woman who was the head of Fox at the time. Fox made Goosebumps. Um, and uh, the woman I was with who worked for a company, I won't say the name because it's a very big company and just in case somehow this gets back to me, but she introduced me to this woman who is the head big honcho and she said, and this is DJ McHale, he, he created Are You Afraid of the Dark, the much better written version of Goosebumps. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my. Well, it was, it, was, it was palpable, DJ, when I was there, it was very palpable. They were like, don't mention dark, don't mention, it was, I, I <laughs> But you were going to um, talk about your episodes, Dave. Well, I, I've got I got to jump off in about three minutes, guys. So let me do real quick. Uh, what do I? What? Oh, I love them all. I had so much fun doing. Them. I did ten of them, and I just I love them all. I was proud of them all. What's, what's I, I can pick one shiny, out for you if you want. Shiny red, shiny red bicycle is the one that seems. To yes, be the most that's from, yes, yes. From kids, uh, cool. kid, it, it had a real kind of. That was one that I thought really dealt with the death of this this poor kid that fell and you know the, yeah. the locks in Montreal and it felt kind of real and heavy and and the one the one that girls females always talked to me about the one that scared the mm -hmm. hell out of them was the doll maker for some reason <laughs> girls really found the doll maker really scary um and of course I love the connection with uh six cents which you're all going to take credit for from, from uh, <laughs> <laughs> Looked up like uh, just just Google M Night and plagiarism. Just Google that. So uh, way too long a list. There's like the eight bandwidth. different versions of it. And, and people and, uh, that produces movies. I mean, just do yourself a favor. Google that. And I was trying to get a real quick story, personal story. Uh, I was trying to get this girl I'd found in one of the actor books. I just was <clears> in love <throat> with this girl, and I was trying to get her in one of the episodes. I tried to get her in Dream Girl, and it became somebody else. And then I don't DJ may remember this. And I tried to get her in uh, 
I think unfinished painting was I was trying to get her in that and I finally got her in um, the tale of C7 the one about the uh, jukebox and she became my girlfriend for years so that's yeah. an episode oh. that I loved. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Variety of reasons. Breaking news here first. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it had a rough ending, which will be in oh. chapter seven of my book. <laughs> gotcha. What was C seven? Chapter seven. What was ba C seven? It's about the I'm jukebox that plays the the song, and the girl keeps coming off the dock at the at the. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I did that. Yeah. You did the music for that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was lots. Tons of fun. Yeah, actually, you know, at the uh, and at the end, you needed um, I I um, gave you a reference for this kind of like crooner, this young crooner for the last yeah. tune because yeah, it was, it was yeah, a, but it was I did, a 40s, yeah, I did the score. It was a '40s guy returning from the war, and they had the, the yeah, no, that was, the party was a, at the end and stuff. It was that was fun. a good show. That was a good show. That oh, was, it was that, very good. Bad relationship, however, but a good show. Yeah, okay, fine. Well, it was, it was good for a while. <laughs> yeah, what anyway. for? One of, I think, one of the most chilling sequences of all of Are You Afraid of the Dark was in a show, it was a collaboration with Susan Kim and David Winning, with The Quiet Librarian, where mm -hmm. they go into that room, oh, yeah. all those kids are in there with yeah, the yeah. cobwebs, and they can't talk, and they open that. Susan has got a macabre mind. Let me, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, DJ, do you think you could get away with some of this stuff nowadays? I, I mean, it I certainly did. wouldn't be on, I mean, maybe adult TV, but it wouldn't be on Nickelodeon anymore. I mean, things have changed so much, you know. Kids have but, disappeared. But was an amazing idea, an amazing concept, and then visualized phenomenal. It just, that, that's one of the things that made the show so great is, is the writers and the directors that they could come up with these things. It was but great. David, that's a very good point because... Um, I just today got an email from a streaming service that we're dealing with and the, a show that we're pitching, a, a, a movie we're pitching, an Arl Stein thing, and their comeback on it was, it's too violent for our, our kids and family thing. And I was thinking, this is not even close to what we did on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like no, not I'm even close. And I'm right now they're like, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. We can't do that at all. I'm thinking, my <laughs> God, how many kids do we kill on Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You know, well, you on seen camera. It. So. The, first, the first series I ever directed was Friday the 13th, the TV series in Toronto. And uh, it ended up getting canceled because they ran it in syndication and they were running it like 11 a.m. on Saturdays and freaking out kids. Because this was a show about lighting monks on fire and it was just insane. <laughs> it was like, insane well, horror stuff. Yeah. They went down the tubes because of uh, <laughs> public pressure. But uh, yeah, dark, so, dark so was in its own world. Days, you know, guys, you know, I have to run. Uh, appreciate the time and everything. Thank you. Thanks, DJ. Thanks for joining us, David. Appreciate career. it. And thanks, Thank Ron. Where are you going at eight? What do you have to do? Winning. Oh, I got it. It'll be in the book. Alex, would you like to ask one of the specific questions? Absolutely. Give me just a moment to scroll down here through all of our nudes. Yeah, we definitely uh, overprepared for this. <laughs> we did. DJ had just touched on it. I actually had a question for Susan Kim because you had actually written a, my favorite episode. Uh, so with the episodes of Curious Camera, Quiet Librarian, Carved Stone, Jagged Sign, what inspired you to do those stories specifically? It was those are the only ones I could get past DJ. <laughs> it was ruthless. I think I pitched nine million stories to DJ, and he'd be like, "No, 
no, no, not scary, not good. No, we did something like that. We did that in season one. That's not scary. That's no good. Do that. So it's just I just kept pitching and pitching. So basically, what you saw the you know out of the nine million stories I pitched, DJ. It's a weird thing that every season, uh, you know, was, people would pitch. I, I didn't write it all. I mean, there were amazing writers like Ron and Susan who pitched those things, and it was amazing how every season, people would pitch similar stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's in the, the ether or whatever. It's just like, I just had three pirate pitches. <laughs> what, what the heck was that? So, so that, Susan was a victim of that, I think. <laughs> I, I, and Susan, you gave me, I had two of your scripts. I did Carved Stone oh, and yeah. Curious Camera, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were, they were like some of the most visual stories. That's what's great about it. Because sometimes with writers, you know, God bless them. But sometimes with writers, it's like on the page, but it's not visual. And your stuff was always so visual. Oh. That's what's great about it. You could like, you could see it as you read it. You could see the thing in your head. It was terrific. Thank you. Well, I mean, really early on, DJ said these really are, you know, it's I think everyone said this to some extent. He kept saying it's like a mini movie. You know, that's the great thing about an, an anthology mm-hmm. series is that everyone is a standalone. Everyone has a different flavor. Like um, the first one I did was the uh, carved, carved Stone. And that was like a comedy. It was Sardot. So that was like sort of, you know, it was so, you know, like you could and really. Frank Gor- was it Frank Gorshin in that? Frank Gorshin, yes. Frank Gorshin. Oh my God, remember that? From like, Batman. Whoa. Yeah. So, so you could really do like you know you can do a a rural thing. The, the librarian li- librarian was different. Uh, the curious camera was like obviously like sort of this high school anxiety thing. So, is you could really just do, and it was so great because it's like completely different setting, completely different set of characters, and you could just really let your mind go. So that's the visual thing was just like being allowed to think of it as a mini movie, and then that's the way you think of stories. You think of it visually. So it was it was really great. And uh, as far as the, because you had mentioned it earlier that you also did the 2XL uh, cassette mm. tape thing. How different was writing for that oh, as nuts. opposed to the- <laughs> That was totally, totally, it was impossible. That was impossible because it's a, uh, 2XL is like, it's like really, really early interactive storytelling. So it's yes. an eight track cassette. So it's basically for, it's like, it's like analog. It's analog trying to be digital. So it's like these four, audio tracks and you have to time it so like when do you and there's music playing and oh my gosh you know the actors who had to like do I was just like how are how is this going to work but there's a lot of you know sort of sound effects and music to sort of vamp until you can switch over to button c so that was completely that was completely nuts I also did like the audio stories and that was much more that was much more sort of like are you afraid of the dark? Except they were more sort of like prose. And I've, I've written, you know, I've written prose, I've written books and stuff. So that was sort of shifting over to a different part of my brain. But yeah, that 2XL was like a nightmare. It, Ross, oh, wow. did you do the, the recording for 2XL? I did, yes. You yeah, did. That was, uh, I, you, your, your voice is in my mind. My voice has probably changed a little bit since then, I would think. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember being, I remember doing those, I, I, did we do them all in one shot, DJ? I think we did uh, one of the studios around, where Cenar was, I think. Yeah. From what I remember. Yeah, I didn't produce those, I don't, I don't know. I do remember there was a really, I went, for some reason, I went to the audio guy who was doing like, he did like Foley's and sound effects and he had a sound effect library. And he was this old British guy in, in Manhattan who had done the sound effect, he had done sound for the EastEnders 
on the BBC for like a billion years. So he was this old British guy who had this really cool old fashioned sound effect library. And he would sort of play things for me. It was really, it was really kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting experience. Yeah. And then Ross, you went down to Florida, Ross and Daniel and, and Jason, you went down to do uh, Orpheo's Curse, right? The, the game? Uh, well, I, oh, yes. Yeah. I didn't. still ask me about that game. That, still no, contacting yes, you did. I did? Yes. Then, no, 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 it was in 1994. Okay. That was okay. Daniel, season three like universal yeah. studio trips or one or yeah i i just remember sorry jason go ahead go ahead man okay, go ahead. so daniel's not gonna remember this but like he was younger and so i got this is the run the run the time that bugs you'd come out the murder the bugs the movie and yeah they had like yes. the like pacino like the plastic mask so i bought the mask and i put it up so daniel and i would wear these masks around the park you don't remember this? We have pictures. What? I don't remember this. <laughs> like we would have our like ID badges, like the Nickelodeon like badge, and we would just walk around the park. But Daniel and I would like I would make him put the mask on. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember? Yeah, this? I think I vaguely remember this now. <laughs> but I I think I blocked it out of my mind because some of the reception that we got was not very good. Yeah, no, <clears throat> totally right. Absolutely. Good. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's what you do when you're 14 years old. You do shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to the Future. I think we did the Back to the Future ride like 20 times in a row or something like that. That's yeah, because we had we had a backstage pass, or or we had like a handler that was running us around. So like there was no lineups. There was no oh, anything. Yeah. Oh my What's, god! What's uh, DJ got? Wow. Is that, are you afraid of the dark picture? That's proof. That's yeah, proof. Wow. Yeah, that was, All Midnight Society oh, members wow. are looking 90s fly at Universal Studios. <laughs> <laughs> That's still Love up it. at my parents' place, Love that exact picture. So yeah. you can't deny it. I can't. I can't. Oh there you go. God. Wow. wow. What a great wow. picture. Look at Joanna Garcia. Jeez. That's an Are You Afraid of the uh, Dark episode. Like the handler from Nickelodeon that knew Orlando really well. You need to tell that story because that guy was insane. That was. That was, I, remember that guy? Do you remember? Yeah, he was our driver. He almost killed yeah, us was, several times. That I remember because <laughs> oh, I was no. terrified. You guys need to, hey, Susan, write that story. That's yeah, story. he almost Seriously. got us killed. I don't know, and I'm not even yes. kidding. Like his driving, even at that age, was, and I couldn't even drive yet. I knew it was horrible. Like he went, didn't he drive over a medium at one point? He drove us yeah. in a parking lot or something. He almost killed us several times. That was really scary. That you okay? See that I remember clearly. Okay. Yeah, it's all go. coming back now. Go. It's all coming back. Yeah. Uh, wow, the memory on Jason. Wow, that's impressive. No, Daniel, I have pictures. I'll send you the pictures. I, I can't think that wait. Gotta find out. But yeah, I, I made you dress up in the in the in the thing. Yeah. And yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That was that was yeah. That I remember very vividly. I was terrified. Yeah. Talk about scaring the cast of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, that was scary. Yeah. You never quite know what kind of memories are on earth when we're all together reminiscing, right? <laughs> what a trip, Jay. That's awesome, man. Orlando is a family-friendly city. You know? <laughs> Montreal, Orlando. I'm going to take Montreal. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Yeah, yeah, good call. <laughs> While, uh, while Daniel's in the spotlight, I actually have an interesting question for him because he's uh -oh. the only Midnight Society member that's been both in the original five season run and the revival seasons. So I'm kind of curious what the, the differences were between those uh, two experiences or if there was any difference at all and if you have a preference toward one or the other. 
Uh, yeah, th there was two differences. I mean, I went from being the youngest and most annoying to, uh, I guess, the oldest and still annoying. So um, it was it was amazing. I mean, you know, Ross and I really do have that brother relationship. Like, we still to this day, we still see each other. We still chat. We are still close and we still have that relationship. It's unbelievable. Um, but uh, that, that was the biggest thing for me to, you know, because that's kind of what I always played growing up and I guess now is that annoying character but um <laughs> but when it flipped and then you know everybody else was younger I was like oh I guess I got to um I guess I have to kind of step up a little bit and uh and sort of not be a jackass all the time um that 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 was the first thing um that I remember but uh and now I can't remember what else I was gonna say <laughs> oh, well, essentially man. now you you feel oh, what it's like remember. to be in Gary's shoes <laughs> I, yes uh, and, and thank God I had the idol of, uh, you know, my idol Ross Hall. So I could, I could channel that when I was doing season six and seven, but I remember with Anique, uh, and I mean that Ross, and I remember with Anique, I used to have to shave at lunch and Anique used to have to find like different ways to just like, I shaved this morning. And this is like, she used to, she found, she went out and found this new age razor for me at the time. Like I remember we were shaving literally at lunch. So that's he was what I remember. 12 years most. old. He was 12. <laughs> I was, I was Ron. You're right. Yeah. I remember <laughs> controlling everyone's acne because I don't remember mm. DJ. We used to shoot the yeah. um, campfire over what? A week? Yeah. Two weeks? Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks. So, you know, they wouldn't want to clean their face. So I had them all line up at the back at the bathroom mm. with the spectral gel. Remember, guys? The spectral gel. Oh, big top of the spectral yes. gel, yeah. And you know what? Oh, seriously. No, Brett. Seriously. Alex, Brett. That's the question you've not asked. The amount of acne that happened on that <laughs> show. No, seriously. Man. Like, I've been on a lot of these panels. That's a question that's never come up. And that's exactly the spectra gel. I'm having like a flashback now. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> exactly right. Spectra gel. You hear it here first on Splat Attack, guys. Oh, I'm telling you, she, she was innovative and she used to have these oil absorbing uh, like sheets back then in the 90s. And then it wasn't until like the 2000s that like Clean and Clear came out with the exact same. I don't even know where she found these. They were in these little ornate like French books and they were beautiful and yeah, she would rip them out okay. and dab our forehead. Yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't until about 10 years later that clean and clear finally came out. And I was like, and Nick, how do you, how do you know this? How, what are you doing? Well, like she knows the secrets. She's, she, she's really like 200 and she's got like just all this stuff. She the, secret, the secrets of Are You Afraid of the Dark are the powder, you know, in oh, the yeah. fire and the spectra yeah. gel. Those are the two <laughs> things. That's how it works. You, you know that powder, you know that powder in the tail of many faces at the end of season seven that like makes your complexion glow before Madame Visage would steal your face. That's essentially that powder. <laughs> Look, you're you're kidding about this, but seriously, that's happened on a daily basis. I had look me personally, I had the worst acne ever, and she would literally like scrub. I think me, we all did, and then they would she would like you know she would touch yeah. it up. And they would like yeah. shoot me this way or this way and then light yeah. me, you know, seriously, it was yeah. insane. Yep. 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 It's true. It's all true. All Jeez. true. That's real behind the scenes stuff. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely something I did not expect to come up, but you know, why not? Why not? We're just airing everything out today. <laughs> I, I just, um, I'm in this wild place now where I'm a dad now. I have a kid. He's three and a half. 
And out of nowhere, he has discovered like horror. Like that is like his jam. Um, mm -hmm. He has no idea I was ever on this show. Uh, and I'm really excited in the coming weeks as we're getting closer to Halloween to introduce him to Are You Afraid of the Dark for the first time. Oh man. And I think it's gonna blow his mind. Like it's, it's everything he keeps describing that he wants in a show. And I just have to like get ready for it because it's gonna be, it's gonna be way more screen time than his little three and a half year old brain has ever handled. So. Right? <laughs> I can't wait for that moment when he actually sees you there. <laughs> yeah, well, the already, I've, tried to, I've tried to like show him the DVDs. He's like, that's no, not you. I'm like, okay, well, I tried. <laughs> cool. Uh, Nick, you were gonna say something? No, I'm just very happy to see everybody. I mean, I didn't know Susan. I wasn't privy to having met her. And it's just really, I mean, I had a full day today on another show I'm here mm -hmm. in Vancouver prepping for. And suddenly I'm just arriving here, landing with all of you. And it's just very heartwarming. It really truly is. It feels like home in a way. And it's just, I don't know, I just want to say it. I'm so grateful for the show. I'm grateful for DJ. I'm grateful for Ron, everybody, Ned that I've had the opportunity to work. I really do believe that with my personality and my creative process and meshing with their energy, I could not have come into a more perfect chemistry to you know, become, help become the better of me. And I think I truly believe it's helped me be um, you know, what I am today. And so I'm, it's just really cool. And seeing all these grown up men <laughs> let me just jump in can i jump in for a sec because the nick says something very smart which is which is not unusual because she's brilliant um uh what what she said and what i think we all feel is um first of all it feels like we did the show last year if that i mean it, the the import of this show on our lives is such that we never i don't ever feel like it's not something i've just done recently so to know that it has impact on people's lives, you know, their imaginations, in many cases, their careers. I can't tell you how many crew members have come to me and said, I got into the film business because of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Wow. These are important. Imagine. You know? <clears throat> yeah, it's incredible. And, and, and on a personal note, I've had kids who were actors for us in Montreal or, or from across the country when we were doing it, who've come to me later on and said, I came out because you were a gay, openly gay director making this show and I was comfortable enough to be myself. And that kind of stuff, that only happened because of the world of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because yeah, uh, uh, totally, because of Deej and, and Ned and, and Nickelodeon and this incredible familial feeling. It's, it was unlike any other show and I've done a lot of stuff. It was unlike mm. any other experience creatively ever and I think we all owe mm. an extraordinary amount of gratitude and respect to both DJ and Ned because yeah. they brought us this gift that has changed our lives. You know, I, I had a career after being an actor that had nothing to do with being on camera. That was behind the scenes and really seeing like the nuts and bolts. And again, just to have the first experience with Ned and DJ and they take a chance on you and they create this very loving atmosphere. It's like, you know, I'm 44, I'm maybe 45 soon. It's like, I still think about these two men every day, you know, and I'm so grateful. And that's the legacy that I think, but I don't think about the episodes. I don't remember the episodes. I don't remember what happened, but I remember those two 
you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember those, you know, Ross and Daniel, I remember Anik, that's what I remember the most. But again, what's the most, you know, I've, DJ and I have done these panels before and I always talk about how talented he is. And he's really talented, but he's a better man. You know, and it's just great to see Ned here too and to be able to express that to him as well. Just so grateful to be a part of that kind of production because it's rare. It never happens, ever. To piggyback off that a little bit, uh, when Brett and I were kicking around this idea of doing a 30th anniversary special, we tinkered a little bit with the idea of, okay, let's let's reach out to a couple people and, and see if there'd be anybody who'd be interested. And both Brett and I have had the wonderful opportunity to speak with DJ. And when Brett reached out to DJ, he actually gave us the challenge to reach out to as many people as possible and do a big, make it a big thing. So a, a lot of speaking as a fan to see all of you be getting so excited to see each other again and hear these amazing stories. I mean, we, we get excited about the show as it is. And then to hear all this extra backstory stuff, it's so refreshing and, and invigorating. And I appreciate all of you guys for coming out. I appreciate DJ for challenging us and, uh, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, and I, we cannot say thank you guys enough. Can I can I just say something? The the uh, I think of this. I, I have kind of a, Ned and I have a, a unique uh, perspective, uh, certainly on this panel, uh, because like you know, Anik never met Susan, and and uh, and Ross doesn't know Jeff, or you know, all well, that. Well, we know all of you. We've worked with everyone, and many more that aren't on this panel right now. Yes, and and I can say that the success and the value, whatever are you afraid of the dark is, it was a cumulative effort of a whole bunch of incredibly talented, dedicated people. I mean, you probably say that about a lot of shows, but but this show in particular, it, every everyone brought their A game and mm. and and did it willingly and and put up with all the BS that I put and, and it's Everything that it is, it's it's a result of this team effort. I, I, I for better or worse, I always feel like I'm the face of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I do a lot of these podcasts because they're fun. Why not? Um, and with each one, I try to remember say, you know, but you got to talk about this person. You got to talk about that person because it's I didn't do all this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and Ned, you all really, really gave the platform to bring out the best out of everybody you really have and you had this nurturing caring about everybody i remember dj you saying oh is such and such person doesn't look like she's feeling well today and you were very observant all the time you know so i mean not everybody have that and and then mm -hmm. you were always enthusiastic like kids business people all the best yeah. all rolled up in one you know and so <laughs> There's another dynamic. I don't be, think we knew. I like thought this. we this thought is... we were supposed to have fun on these shows. I thought we thought, you know, it was hard work, but we were like, the, the people were great. We thought this was how it was supposed to be. I have been on other shows where it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> you know, DJ and I did three shows together and they were fun. They were just fun. You know, people were trying their hardest. There wasn't much in the way of politics. DJ and I are not huge politicians. Um, and, you know, the people tried really hard and they showed up at work and it was th this show, especially, I mean, seven years, is just crazy um, mm. of the same spirit from the first day to the last day. That was really something special. Mm. Most, but, most you have a dynamic, which is, which is like, with producers, which is, and this works, 
a good cop and a bad cop. And the balance of those two things creates a very good product. In this case, you had not, you didn't just have two good cops. You had two like exceptional people. That never happens. Yeah, that's and true. And that's what's special. And that's really what should be appreciated and recognized. And I, I've said this to DJ before, that's the success. It starts from that and it spreads out. And again, Ned, I haven't seen you in forever. I love you, but like, this is why your show is so successful because you two, you're talented, but you also did something exceptional. You brought this love and you brought it forth. And again, for all the people on this panel, Ron, Ross, Daniel, you, Anik, you've all worked on other shows. Jeff, you've worked for shitty producers. Is this the way it is? It's not. So let's not pretend that it is. Okay. No. And I, 100% I add right, something. Folks, because, because the whole point of this thing is to make something wonderful. And I think that the fact that to this day, when you tell people you did Art of Afraid of the Dark, <clears throat> they smile. Like their faces <laughs> light up. And that's because you guys infuse this thing, not just with creative challenges, not with just the creativity and the freedom of it all, but with this love of the storytelling. The love of story. That's a DJ thing so much. The love of Evelyn Anchors. The love of storytelling that, <laughs> that right? That just, it, it, it translates across the world. I mean, people around the world see this show. They all know it. And that's because you guys gave it so much love and, and let us share that. So it's a big deal. And, and, and I, I do- I want to add I, something. I want to add something. Um, I think, you know, um, DJ, you said about our A game. I think you allowed us, you pushed us to do our, you know, to bring out our A game. But you know, I can speak for myself a little bit for Jeff. I, I mean, we've both done oh, thousands of episodes, you know, of many series, and the one by far which I'm most proud of is "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" And it was my first series. I'd never done a series. I, I was like. 29 when I started writing that uh, composing those shows I didn't know much about it and I just I just jumped in you know and I, I I was guided and you allowed us to make mistakes lots of them and you corrected every single one of them but it's okay it, it was it was you know what <laughs> it, it made us better the show was great and it ended up being one of the I mean it's a cult show I mean we we should all of us should be I mean especially you know dj and ned because you created the show but i think you know and the directors but you know the composers the actors and everyone the makeup artists we, all we created we created all of us created a cult show this it's one of the top shows in the world you know it's it, it's not a small feat it's it's huge i'm proud of it i'm proud of the people i'm proud to have done it i'm proud to have worked with with Jeff Fisher, who's an amazing composer, and with DJ and and, and Ned and everyone. I mean, honestly, I'm like, I'm so proud of this. Every every time I mention dark, people go like, "You did that?" I say, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and the beauty of that is that it still has ripples all these years later because mm -hmm. I was one of the few people who, well, shouldn't say few, but many '90s kids who grew up with it from a young age. And it, it just became a part of our DNA back then when we were hooked through all the different scary stories and even stories of history and romance and mysterious and macabre each and every week. And it just became a part of our fabric, just seeing all these kids around a campfire telling stories that we could relate mm. to. 
And I think because of that magic and wonder and love that was all put in that show, we feel that too. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for that and me connecting with all you guys, I wouldn't have made this book. I wouldn't have done all this. Are you afraid of the dark art that I'm doing for podcasts? I wouldn't have made a mini 3d stone throne or like a bunch of stickers because I really love this show. And I want to know as many people as possible in the world that this is an amazing show and deserves as much love and attention as possible, even in a sea of noise in 2021. So I just have mm. to say, you know, as a fan who, who's, you know, essentially a liaison between, you know, the, the creators, the actors and the other fans, you know, this means a lot to us. And we're just ever eternally grateful that it exists in the first place because of this unique family that has come together. Thank you so much again. And as a final presentation, before we officially declare the Midnight Society meeting closed uh, for the 30th anniversary, I put together a little, little animated presentation for y'all. So I hope you enjoy it. 30 years ago, I remember turning on the TV as a child late at night. I saw these kids with a campfire, and they told us scary stories that stirred our imaginations. Now, after being away all this time, is the moment we return to the dark. I had to uh, show off my film and animation prowess just a little bit to show you guys that, you know, <laughs> if I ever had the opportunity to work on dark, I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, those Very stickers well done. are amazing, Brett. I, it's yeah. Thank you. So remarkable. We're going to conclude this episode of Splat Attack. Thank you all so much once again for joining us. And Ross, DJ, will you do us the honors of declaring this Midnight Society meeting closed for us? Are you, Ross? Should we do oh. it? Okay, and yeah, you. Okay, I think I still remember the lines. But yeah, uh, you've only said it forty-seven thousand times. <laughs> uh, I, I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society. Society closed. And and often you said, until next time. That's right. Pleasant <laughs> dreams, everybody. <laughs> Praise the theme song and roll the credits. Hard to believe, folks, but it's time to say goodbye. Nighty night. Hey, check us out next time for more adventure and another great legend of the Hidden Temple. What will we do till then? Chill for a couple. We'll be back. You're on, Nick. And it was time for the superhero to move on. 
I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Bye-bye. Oh,